Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. What's going on? I'm very excited because Rachel has a whole house full of cats right now. I do. So I was given two cats to take care of for the next month. A friend of mine needed someone to take care of her cats for the month. So uh, there are currently three cats living in my house. It's been very fun. Yeah. For the past week they've been here. Yeah, it's great. And they're all sort of like kind of trying to get along right now. So it's really cute. But we could hear some exciting cat noises right. during the show. I'm, I'm just going to warn you guys, there could be some growling. <laughs> we don't know. Okay. Well, this is a very exciting episode for me today. I'm going to uh, first start out by thanking all the people who contributed to Patreon this week. This week we had Tina. Uh, this week we also had Monica, Olivia, Katie, Bryant, Robin, Audrey, Lindsay, Joy, and Jeannie. I think we also got a PayPal from Tristan. We did. Thanks, Tristan. Thank you. Another special shout out. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, the person we're going to be talking about today has been one of my favorite musical artists since childhood, and that is Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Then there is a lot to cover. There's so much to cover with Bobby Brown that I realized today, Desi, this is going to be a two-parter. Right. It has to be. There's just way too much incredible information. The book that I read for this episode is called Every Little Step, My Story, and it's by (laughs) Bobby Brown. And it came out just a few years ago. Oh, really? It's a pretty new book. They actually made a BET movie called... Uh, the Bobby Brown story, which oh. which came out last fall, right? So the it was and it was an official authorized version. Version. So Bobby Brown was actually a producer on that BET movie. So if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It it follows. Uh, you know, there is definitely they included a lot of stories that are in this book. But um, so I've seen the movie and and I've read the book. So uh, let's let's jump right into Bobby Brown's life. So Bobby was born February 5th, 1969 in Boston to Carol, a teacher, and Herbert, a construction worker. Bobby was the second youngest of eight kids. Wow. He had a lot of siblings. And Bobby and his family lived in the Orchard Park projects. Bobby's mom was really funny. She used to, like, do pranks on their dad and make all the kids laugh all the time. Herbert was really afraid of, like, snakes and spiders, which honestly, same. So she would hide all these, like, rubber snakes and spiders around the house. Wow. And he would be like, oh, my God. And, like, sometimes she would even, like, when she would bring him his dinner, she would, like, hide a little spider in there. Wow. And all the kids would just fucking roar with laughter. I mean, like, there is something special to seeing your own dad get owned. Yes, I was going to say, I don't normally like pranks, but it's much funnier when a woman's doing it. 
<laughs> I think it's also funny as a kid when you see like a, your parent yeah. get pranked on. Right. You know, because yeah. it's like, oh, suddenly they're all like scared. scared and flustered and it's like a harmless prank. Right. So I just wanted to mention that um, Carol, Carol was a funny lady and she was also a really generous giving lady. Like she would make plates of food for the other people in the neighborhood all the time. And so that's just the kind of person that she was. Bobby took an interest in music very early on. He credits his grandma for her huge collection of records as his early influence and in getting into all these different musical artists. Bobby calls his grandma his first fan. He would put on funk music like James Brown, Rick James, and Bootsy Collins and just dance around all day around her living room. When Bobby's parents took him with them to a James Brown concert in 1972, a three-year-old Bobby got up on the stage and started dancing. Bobby's first official public performance, though, would be when he was nine years old. He entered a talent show at the Hi-Hat Nightclub in Boston. Ooh. Yeah. Bobby's older sister dressed him up in this all-white ensemble with a little white Applejack hat, so he was like... Aww. dressed in this whole little cute outfit. He's nine years old. He's getting ready to do his first big like public performance yeah. for all the people in town. And the song that he was going to sing was Enjoy Yourself by the Jacksons. But nerves got the better of Bobby during his performance. Although he started out strong, he freaked out mid-song, <gasps> and he went silent, ran off the stage, and just jumped into his big sister's lap. Aww. I know, I know. But Bobby went back the next week, same outfit and everything, did the same song, and he crushed it. Yes. And people were like, wow, this little kid is talented. Like, he can dance, he can sing, he has stage presence, and he's adorable. In 1980, Bobby heard rap music for the first time, and he was like, oh my God, what is this? Yeah. This is great. And the first rap song that he heard was actually Rapture. By Blondie. Oh, cool. And in Rapture, she name drops uh, Grandmaster Flash. So he's like, well, who's that guy? Yeah. So he got into Grandmaster Flash yet after that. And Bobby decided that he was going to have his own rap persona, and that rap persona would be named Flash B. <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of like the Bobby version of Grandmaster Flash. Right. Soon, Bobby was showing up to block parties and challenging other people to dance battles. I mean, this is all very early 80s. So 80s. And I love it. Yeah. Like, he's like, where's the cardboard? Like, I'm going to do some break dancing. I'm going to dance battle. He's going to do some pop locking. Something I never did. I never challenged anyone to a dance battle. <laughs> uh, and the song, oh, I wanted to point out the song that he always, like, his signature dance battle song was oh. Scorpio by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Oh, cool. And that's, like, a very early 80s electro rap song. Right. It's, like, it's such an iconic sound of that time for rap music. At one point, Bobby figured out that his mom, Carol, was selling drugs. And Whoa. He, <laughs> Carol. But look, he kind of found out in the worst way possible. Okay. Or just, like, the most, not the worst way, but, like, The most ridiculous way possible. And let me tell you, Bobby was about 10 years old. His dad was at work, and his mom was hanging out with some friends over at the local bar. So Bobby decides he's going to cook himself up some dinner. And he's like, I'm going to make fried chicken. (laughs) So he takes the chicken out of the fridge. Then he grabs some flour, and he found the flour was wrapped up in a big block in the freezer. Like flour is. (laughs) (laughs) He's 10. He sees a big block of white 
stuff. He's like, oh, that must be where my mom keeps the flour. Yeah. Okay. So he dips the chicken into the flour. He puts it into a sizzling hot pan of oil, cooks it up, and then he starts eating it. Does that work? I'm sorry. (laughs) Because I'm getting some business ideas. (laughs) I'm shocked that the cocaine, like, fries up. Well, apparently it did, or maybe it... I mean, I'm sure... Maybe it wasn't the best fried chicken. I'm sure it wasn't the best-looking fried chicken. Right. But, you know, he was also 10. Right. And, like... He was like, maybe I just didn't do it right. Right. Oh, we have a cat climbing on Desi. (laughs) So he starts eating the chicken, and he's like, this tastes kind of weird. Yeah. And I feel a little weird right now. Bobby's mom comes home, and she immediately sees the scene laid out in the kitchen. She's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Shit. Bobby, oh, my God, what did you do? And so, you know, he was probably mortified. And I like, mean, it's lucky he didn't I'm, get yeah. OD or something. I know. Right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So, I don't know how much he ate, but. So it wasn't until a little bit later when he saw a cop assault his mom outside of their home that he really got the full scope of the situation. He was like, oh, my mom is not only the, I think he said in his book, he said, my mom is the Mother Teresa of the neighborhood because she would always give out food to everyone but also i didn't know she was also the pablo escobar of the neighborhood too so nice bobby yeah (laughs) (laughs) so and this is rightfully where his distrust of the police began i mean this is a pretty traumatizing moment to see your mom being assaulted by a police officer for sure so the police took um Bobby and his sister Carol away that day after he he saw his mom get beat up by the cop. And because they were the only two siblings in the house, so they just took all the kids that were there out of the house. Um, And the dad was at work. And they took, the police took the kids to a local Catholic children's center. And that is where Bobby was sexually assaulted by a priest. (gasps) But Bobby ended up punching that fucking priest in the face. Yeah. The good news is the charges against his mom ended up being dropped, but the trauma from the assault still lingers with him of course. to this day. And yeah. he talked about that in the book. He's like, that never that never goes away. Yeah. So Bobby was a little troublemaker when he was a kid, like a lot of young kids are. Uh, he was into shoplifting and stuff, and him and his friends, sometimes they used to go steal bikes. And during an altercation one day over a stolen bike, Bobby watched his friend Jimmy die from a knife wound to the chest. Whoa. Like, there was this other boy that was trying to steal one of the bikes that they had already stolen. Right. And it ended up, this kid stabbed his friend Jimmy. Jesus. And so then he watched his friend Jimmy literally die. Oof. So Bobby was only 12 years old when that happened. He just watched his best friend die. This was a trauma that would sink him into a deep depression. And it, it was actually his music that would end up being his escape from that. Like he made a decision. I'm going to put everything I have into focusing on music right now. And that's going to lift me up out of this depression. And that's exactly what he did. Bobby continued to perform at the hi hat club in Roxbury, which is the neighborhood he lived in. And one night he was approached by the guy who ran the show. His name was Maurice Starr. Oh. And yeah, <laughs> you know Maurice Starr. I do know Maurice Starr. Okay, so that's who approached him and was like, hey, kid, yeah. you got some talent. And he was like, Bobby, you need to put together a boys group. So Bobby recruited his friends, Michael Bivens, Ricky <laughs> Bell, 
and Ralph Tresbont to form New Edition. Oh. <laughs> Desi's yes. eyes are lighting up right now. New Edition, we're it. Yeah. Come on. I mean, I'm, I mean, Desi was, when I told Desi I was going to do Bobby Brown last week, she was like, oh my God, Cool It Now is the best song ever. <laughs> It's so good. I mean, I was like the perfect age for that band. Oh, that was like yeah. my first boy band probably was yeah. New Edition. And that's a pretty good boy band. And that song is fucking good as hell. It's so good. It's I mean, so good. I actually remember hearing that song when I was a kid and being like, what? Like, <laughs> I couldn't believe how good it was. Like, yeah. it was just like the, the first. beat. Like, the little rap in it. The little rap and like all the different boys and they were all fucking cute. Oh, my God. I mean, there was another boy band around that same time. Oh, who who was it? I can't remember. I'll think of it later, maybe. Yeah. They were like a similar type group, but obviously New Edition was like the they were more it. popular and right. definitely and, and the big were, hits. And they were all so cute. Oh, it was like one of those things where you could not decide. Right, which boy you like. Yeah, which boy do you like? I don't know. Like, I mean, Bobby was definitely the cutest, but like... You know, who was the oldest one? Was that Ralph? Ralph. I mean, he was also kind of like he was the lead singer. He was the lead, and he was like whatever, sixteen. And he was like, (laughs) and he was like the second coming of Michael Jackson with his voice. Right. Right. I mean, you if you didn't know it was New Edition, and you heard that, and you didn't know about New Edition, you'd be like, oh, is this like a Jackson Five? Yeah. Track because they were all good singers. Yeah. Every single member and they all could dance. Yeah. Like. Yeah, so... Ugh, I keep thinking about the bridge on that song. It's, like, so good. I know. <laughs> I love that song. I do, too. It's so... And the video is really cute, too. Ugh. Yeah. Mm. We'll post it. Okay. Okay. So, essentially, this band was going to be the new version of the Jackson 5. That's why it was called New Edition. Okay. The new edition of Jackson 5, essentially. And since Ralph had a voice that sounded the most similar to a young Michael Jackson, it was undeniable to the boys that he would have to be the lead singer of the group. So the boys teamed up with a local choreographer named Brooke Payne to refine their moves. A new addition performed at a talent show called the Hollywood Talent Night. And although they didn't win, Maurice Starr was like, I need to make a record with you guys. Right. They recorded two songs, Jealous Girl and Candy Girl. And soon, (laughs) Candy Girl was playing on the local college radio station. And the boys were like, oh, my God, we're on the radio. Yeah. I cannot believe it. The song was a hit. And then it moved over to mainstream radio. And in 1983, New Edition's debut album, Candy Girl, was released. Now, the boys didn't sign any contracts at this time. They were obviously really young and naive and in a position where they could just be fucked over. Were their parents very involved? Like, Mm, I mean, I just think everyone was sort of naive to the situation. And these boys, meanwhile, are getting taken for a ride by their management. Yeah. So what they got for the record was $500 each and a Betamax. Oh my god! Literally. I can't even imagine being twelve and being like, "Yes, I'll take." It. Well, I think they <laughs> like, were seriously like a Betamax and five hundred dollars. <laughs> like, can you imagine making a deal when you were twelve years old? That's like a huge deal. <laughs> like, I would totally be like, "Fine, I want a Nintendo Play System. <laughs> I want Legend of Zelda or cartridges." <laughs> like, can you even imagine what you would have given away oh my for god. something like? Oh my god! It's crazy. So of course they were like, "Yeah, well, yeah, oh. yeah." I mean, that is like a lot of money when you're that age. So the boys then decided to take their $500 and they each bought mopeds. Oh my God. Because like 
they were actually like 13, 14 at this time. Because 83, well, Bobby was 14 at this time. Right. Ralph was probably like 15, 16. So, but of course, they're like, yeah, let's buy mopeds. We'll all have mopeds. Oh, my God. So they all ended up getting arrested because they didn't have licenses to drive them. I didn't know you needed a license to drive a moped. You prob- it's probably like a... Like a vehicle? Well, like a this, whatever, the second class, right? For motorcycles. Oh, yeah, you're it's right. It's like a lesser. I guess so. Yeah. So Bobby got sent to the local women's jail because he was way too young for the men's jail. Oh. They didn't have anywhere to put him. Really? They like, didn't have like a juvie? They Well, he went to like the holding cell, I guess. I see. After, right after he got arrested. And it was in this cell that Bobby saw his older sister, Tina's friend, and they ended up having sex. In the cell? Yes. That's hot. Yeah. And, I mean, was she under 18? Uh, I think she was probably like 18. And oh. Bobby was like 14. So uh-huh. it was, and like Bobby said in the book, he was like, it was definitely not okay, but I was definitely okay with it at the time. <laughs> He was like, I was definitely into it. Well, yeah. I mean, he was, yeah, he was this 14-year-old kid. Dude, who is this horny bitch in jail? <laughs> I like that she's in a holding cell and she sees her friend's little brother. Right. And she's like, let's fuck. <laughs> like, that is, like, crazy on multiple levels. I just want to know what the privacy situation was like here. I'm just, yeah. Like, was it just the two of them or was she was just like, hold on, girls. I'll finish this conversation after I fuck my friend's little brother. Girls, I'll be right back to keep my spot warm. Like, <laughs> like why would you want to fuck a 14-year-old? I'm sorry. I like, have no it's idea. It's crazy to me. Had she always had feelings for him? I mean, I, I I'm going to need more info. Yeah. Come on, Bobby. So obviously when Bobby's older sister, Tina, found out, she was fucking pissed. At her friend? Yeah. She's like, you're fucking disgusting. Yeah. So... Bobby says that he discovered sex at a pretty young age. He says he remembers discovering his older brother's porn collection mm. and, like, all the 70s porn and just yeah. being like, whoa, like, you know, what's this? This is a quote from Bobby's book. I think that early exposure put me on a path of using sex as a substitute for feelings, as a way to show that I cared for someone rather than, show, rather than expressing real emotions. Bobby's read some self-help books. <laughs> You know what? Bobby has probably gotten a lot of uh, therapy over the years. I'm thinking yes. Yes. I mean. I mean, it's good. He has some insight into these things. A lot of people go their whole lives and they never have insight (laughs) into why they do the things that they do. So in his book, Bobby expressed also having this really big insecurity about his looks because he was the darkest skin boy in the group. And he sort of faced a lot of colorism from the other boys in the group. Really? But just his peers in general. Yeah. Like he was very insecure about it. Was it like it. ribbing or real? Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't even... Obviously, he was sensitive about it. Yeah, I don't even think it mattered. I think he just... He felt like, you know, it was bad because he was so much darker than the other boys. Uh-huh. And and and, um, and he also, you know, he had a gap in his te- teeth. So but that's his best part. I know. I know. <laughs> I love his gap. But like... He, you know, he he was also a t- teenager. Like, right. He was really insecure about his looks. He thought he had a big forehead, and like, you know, kids are so mean too. Right. And they'll like use whatever they think is your right. weakest like insecurity, and they'll go after it. Absolutely. So it's so sad though. At that, you know, that sort of drove Bobby to be like, I'm gonna get as many girls as I can, right, to prove that I'm desirable. In 1983, Bobby Brown started dating Kim Ward, a member of the girl dance group called Phase Force. Well, 
Kim's ex, Timmy, was not happy about this. He was also bitter because Bobby was becoming famous. So her, his ex-girlfriend's dating this guy in this new hot boy band. Are they still under 18 yes. at this point? Yeah. Both Kim and Bobby are like 14 years old okay. at this so point. So when I'm hearing these things, it's like kids. Right. We're talking about kids. I know. We're talking about children <laughs> so here. Just hilarious. Okay. So Bobby was at a party one night dancing with Kim when Timmy rolled up. And Timmy just starts firing shots. And what? Yes. Because he was so pissed that he saw his ex-girl dancing with Bobby Brown. So he, Bobby ends up getting shot in the knee. What? Yeah. And he made it to a local hospital, but he kept it from his family because he didn't want them to worry or be concerned. Like, Oh, I was just involved in a shooting. Yeah. And he actually didn't end up telling his mom until like much, much later. So he took himself to the hospital. Yeah. And, I mean, that's just, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, it wasn't, like, a crazy bad injury or anything. Right. But, but he, nowadays, if you get shot, it's, like, a thing. Is where it? They, the hospital has to report it to the police, I think. Oh. I mean, maybe it wasn't that way back then. I guess not. I mean, I don't know. Because that's why a lot of people won't go to the hospital when they have a gunshot wound. Because yeah. the, the hospital has to report it. Right. So maybe it wasn't the case back then. Yeah, but he obviously ended up surviving, and he was a little bit worried because he's like, oh, my God, I'm a dancer. I just got shot in the yeah. leg. How am I going to do this? Well, uh, Bobby says that that actually made his dancing better. Oh. And here's a, here's a quote from the book. One might think getting shot in the leg would be a serious issue for a member of a group that relied so heavily on dancing. But a weird thing happened when my leg started healing. My dancing got better. I can't really explain it. But after that, I could do anything with my legs. It was like the injury gave me superpowers. When I saw the movie Forrest Gump a decade later, I could immediately identify <laughs> with that scene where his braces fall off and he's suddenly able to run like the wind. I know you're probably reading this and laughing your ass off, but that's what really happened. <laughs> I like his, like... Like breaking the fourth wall. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, he does that a lot in the book. He's like, no, I know what you're thinking. Like, yeah. or you're probably thinking, what the fuck? Like, he, yeah, I like that when I'm reading a like a bio, I, autobiography. I like when they acknowledge that they just said something ridiculous. Yeah. I know this story seems like a tall tale. <laughs> it's like, yeah. By the mid '80s, Bobby was frustrated with the other boys in New Edition, specifically Michael Bivens. Ooh. Yeah. In his book, he recalls a time when Michael spit on him during during an argument over who got to sit in the front seat of the car. Oh. I mean, that just goes to show that these are kids. I know. I keep forgetting how young they are until I hear something like this. I'm like, oh, oh, right. They're 14. Right. Yeah. Like, Bobby was like, I called shotgun. Oh, my God. Totally. So... There were also discrepancies over the nature of Bobby's departure from the group. Some say that he was voted out, but in his book, Bobby said that he left on his own accord. And he was also just done feeling ripped off financially, being a new addition, as well as creatively. Like, he, there was tension between him and the boys, and he also started to get hip to the fact that, like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. Right. He actually said that... He, in the three years he was in New Edition, he only saw about $80,000. Like, they, all the boys each only saw $80,000. That's nothing. Yeah. I mean, considering how big they were at one point and how many records they sold, that's, like, absurd. I mean, they were on TV all the time. Right. And they toured. I mean, the music industry is such a fucking scam. Totally. Especially back in that, that period. Right. 
So the fact that there was this rumor that Bobby was fired from New Edition, that was sort of the impetus for him being labeled a bad boy. Like, that was the first thing that the press was like, oh, Bobby was kicked out of New Edition. He must be bad. I don't remember this. So at the age of 17, this is 1986 now, Bobby is suddenly without a job and without money. So he temporarily sold weed. But... He was like, I don't want to do this forever. I need to get back into the music studio. And that's what he did. And he's like, he embarked on his solo career. Bobby's debut solo album, King of Stage, came out in 1986. And the single Girlfriend shot up to the top of the R&B chart. That same year, Bobby's girlfriend, Malika Williams, gave birth to their son, Landon. They were both just 17. Oh. Yeah. Although the album itself wasn't the biggest hit, the success of that song allowed Bobby to move himself and his family out to Los Angeles. He bought a house in Tarzana where he lived with his girlfriend Malika and their son. Bobby and Malika, though, would end up breaking up after a few years. They had sort of an unwilling, like, not not like a, look, Bobby was not faithful to Malika. (laughs) You know what? He was insecure about his looks, Rachel. (laughs) not faithful to Malika and he told Malika about it and she was like I think maybe semi cool with it for a while or just right. looking the other way they had a son to raise like she was trying to raise their son but after a while Malika was like you know what I love you but I can't fucking do this anymore like right. this is because she's probably at home with the kid all the time yeah and at she... some point you start getting very resentful I think oh my like, god it's not even about the cheating it's about like hey can you fucking help out around here like totally do you know what I mean like so right like she just this was not the life for and her and she's in Tarzana come on <laughs> <laughs> something to do there so um so then Bobby get, got back together with his childhood sweetheart, Kim, the one that oh. he got into the fight and over. he got shot. Right. And they ended up having two kids within the next few years, Bobby Jr. and LaPrincia. Bobby's next album, however, would be a gigantic success. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite Bobby Brown album. And for this album, Bobby decided that he needed to enlist hot producers, specifically producers who were going to be able to give him an edgier sound. Right. So Bobby uh, hired Babyface and L.A. Reid and Teddy Riley to work with him on his album. These are, like, three of the hottest producers ever. I mean, they made... And Babyface was an artist, too. Oh, yeah. He became, like, his own star. Absolutely. Like, Like, I love Babyface. Yeah. So this is a quote from the book because there were there's the thing about Bobby Brown's book is there's a few passages in it from various people giving their own takes like okay. here's some notes from so here's some notes from Babyface Babyface okay. wrote this about um, him and L.A. Reid leaving a meeting one day and this is how they got introduced sort of or decided this is how they decided to work with Bobby we left the meeting and got into our car to drive back to our apartment on Highland. As we were driving, Bobby Brown came on the radio. He happened to be on a radio show where he would do a live performance. He was singing his song Girlfriend, and at some point he went for a note he couldn't reach. Bobby got mad, and he said, I don't want to sing this song anyway. (laughs) We were shocked. We said, can you believe he did that? That changed everything for us. That told us that this guy was crazy, and we loved his crazy energy. (laughs) He just didn't care. We loved who he was. Right then we knew, this guy is a star. 
and that made the decision easy for us. We wanted to work with him. I honestly love that story so much. I like that people want to work with crazy people. It gives me hope. <laughs> oh my I was god! Like, yes, we are fun. Totally. <laughs> So the album Don't Be Cruel was released Ugh. in 1988, and it exploded, and rightfully so. I right. mean, like, there is just hit after hit on that album. So good. My personal favorite on Don't Be Cruel is Roni. Oh, that's, like, one yeah. of my all-time favorite jams anyway. Yeah. But that's on Don't Be Cruel. I mean, it has every little step. It has uh, I Want to Rock With Ya. Yeah. And every little step is so good. I mean, when I heard that, that was like another one with like with the cool it now vibe. Ugh. Like it's just so happy. It's so happy, and when you hear it, you just want to dance. Right. And I don't even never want to dance. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like I don't even like happy music per se. But that was just like so infectious. Like it's so it's so catchy and like yeah. you can't help but like that song. And like, like the from the moment you so first good. hear it, like do you know what I mean? Like right. there's very few songs when you hear it from the first time. You're like, what the hell is this? Right. Like, and I feel like that way with Cool It Now was kind of had that. I mean, there's a lot of songs, but that and every little step was like just like. Like all the little parts and like yeah, I don't know. It's it, like simple, but it has all these parts. Like you could tell it's like a great producer, right? So these like he nailed like his instincts hiring these producers. Like he nailed it. If you don't know what New Jack Swing was, like Bobby was definitely like he he this don't be cruel is the quintessential New Jack Swing album. And what New Jack Swing was was it was a departure from like sort of like pure R&B and soul and moving towards this hybrid of really danceable R&B mixed with like hip hop. Right. And they always had like a little hip hop segment. Yeah. Or just like a, it was kind of beats. inserted. Yeah. A lot of times too, the intros would be rap. Like, right. So it was like this perfect, it's like this delicious fusion of the two genres yeah. that was it's really, so good. it was really popular in the late eighties and, early 90s like poison that's a new jack swing song by bell biv devoe which is yeah another (laughs) one how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. 
With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. The title single, Don't Be Cruel, reached number one on the R&B charts, but the album's second single, My Prerogative, which is one of the most iconic fuck you anthems yeah. of all. Right. I mean, Britney did it. <laughs> yeah. I love that That song. video, too, is so good. It's so good. With the sexy girls playing the instruments, and he's at the show. The thing I love about my prerogative is that the first line is, they say I'm crazy, I really don't care. <laughs> I just remember when he used the word prerogative. Like, everyone went apeshit for right. that word. All of a sudden, it's like, no one had ever heard it before right. or something. It's like such an obscure word. Yeah, and it's like, to sing that word was just hilarious to me. Right. Which is like, it's kind of something you would never say at that point, but now we all say it. Right. Like, that was definitely like... It was a 50-cent word. It was a 50-cent word. But then it became, like, the word everyone used. Like, and now it's kind of like, oh, God, when someone says that, right. it's almost, like, cliche now. But right. back then it was like, everyone was like, oh, hold up. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a word we all want to use to be, like, cool. Like, right. Yeah, it was like, I just distinctly remember that word all of a sudden becoming, like, something that everyone dropped Totally. Now. And it's my prerogative. Yeah. It was just, yeah, especially if you're that that age when you're, like, a kid, you're, like, try to want to sound like you know things. Totally. <laughs> and, like, this, I would also, like, this album, specifically the song, My Prerogative, I would totally put in the same category that I feel like every great pop star, they go through this phase where they're not a kid anymore. They're an adult. Right. Like, and they're telling the world right now I'm in control. Like Janet, <laughs> like Janet had her album is control. Like right. it was literally like breaking out from your contract or whatever. Right. Like, and like telling the world, like, here's what I've always wanted to do. Like, right. This is the real I'm not me. like, what have you done for like, what was her like candy pop when she had like the winged hair? Like she was on different strokes. Right. Like her first big hit was kind of like cutesy. Like right. I can't remember what it was right now. It was before control. Obviously it was before 
for but control. Her, that yeah. album didn't do well at all. She had like one hit, I think, from we, that period. I think the album was called Dream Street. Yeah, I just remember she had like a pink sweater on and like the feathered kind of Dorothy Helmel esque hair yeah. from like that she had yes. in different strokes. I know exactly what you're talking. I can't about. remember the song, but then when my control happened, it was like a completely and that was with like what was it, Terry. Um, who was her? She had. She also oh, got the yeah, good producers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, I'm, Terry something and I'm, Jam. I can't remember their names right now, but right. they were like big. They were also big R and B producers totally. at the time. So yeah, like that is one of my favorite music genres is the fuck you pop star album right like britney spears when she had her self-titled album with i'm a slave for you right or christina when she did stripped yes. with dirty yeah, like yeah, yeah. i it's love so those good. albums i love when they're like fuck you i'm an yeah. adult i'm 20 <laughs> and they're always like only 20 too oh, yeah but they've been performing for like 20 years yeah <laughs> totally so so now at this point bobby is just a fucking superstar. Yeah. Like that album was huge. That tour was huge. And he's fucking a lot of women at this right. point. And, and he embraced his gap. Well, you know what's funny is he actually told how he, you know, his iconic Gumby haircut. Right. So Bobby Brown, if you watch, I mean, it's like the most prominent in the Every Little Step video. That like, haircut cut became like its own cliche. That was an yeah. accident. Oh, really? Yes. He was at the barber shop and like the barber was like, whoops. And he was like, oh. wait, wait, keep going. Keep doing that. <laughs> it's like the scene from uh, Back to the Future with the Chuck Berry. Yes. <laughs> Hold on. Like, wait, we got something here. Right. <laughs> totally. It was a happy accident. So Bobby was rich. He was famous. He was talented. And he was fucking sexy. Yeah. And like. One time he went to the studio. This is a really juicy tidbit. One time he went to the studio to meet up with Madonna, who at the mm -hmm. time was working on her Like a Prayer album, and they fucked in the bathroom. What? Yes. I did not know this information. How did you not know that? Two of my favorite artists fucked, and I'm just finding this out. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I guess... In my fantasy, everyone's just fucking each other. <laughs> like, if they have videos on MTV at the same time, right. they're fucking. <laughs> I mean, so Bobby said that they fucked a few times, but he couldn't date her because she was too wild even for him. Oh. Yeah, she, he said that she was crazy, even crazy for him. Wow. But I loved that tidbit. In 1989, Bobby was arrested in the middle of a sold-out show in Columbus, Georgia, for violating the city's lewd law. He was literally arrested mid-performance. I believe it was Roni because during his Roni performance on this tour, Bobby would always bring a girl up onto the stage and, like, you know, dance with her uh -huh, and stuff. Uh -huh. So, but he would also, like, grind, you know, but... Oh, Des, sorry, Desi just showed me a gif of Bobby air humping, which I love, from the Every Little Step video. Little. <laughs> so... So Bobby's doing this, like, thing he does during wow. all his shows where he's, like, grinding. But he's grinding, like, a few feet away from her. He's not, like, making contact with right. her. But Columbus, Georgia at that time had a law that you couldn't Grind. simulate sex in oh. public. So he gets arrested in the middle of his performance. But he was released an hour later on $652 bail, and he went back to the arena to resume the concert. Cool. Can you imagine like coming back to them and being like, hey, I was just in jail. I'm yeah. back. Let's do every little step. That is so, ugh. I hate 
that kind of arrest. It's so stupid. It's like, what a fucking narc right. in the audience. Like, oh, well, he's the cops grinding. were watching. They were waiting for it? They were it? waiting for it. That's such bullshit. They were waiting to make sure he didn't do anything lewd because they had enacted this law. What is this, like the 50s? <laughs> like, it's so it's like retro. Like, yeah. It's like footloose. That's so crazy. I know. So... Bobby was also spending money like crazy. I mm. mean, it's hard to fault him. He was 20, 21 years old, right. and all of a sudden, he has millions and millions of dollars yeah. in his account. And no one, no like financial manager to be like, hey, you got to put this in savings. Like, yeah. he was or just, invest or, or something. Right. Yeah. Like, he was just like a kid living his wildest dreams. Buying as many Betamaxes as he fucking wanted. <laughs> I know there's VHSs now, but I don't want that. I want the Betamax. I bet all my friends mopeds. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is also a tidbit that uh, it involves food, so I had to mention mm-hmm. it. So Bobby was telling the story about how when he was touring in Japan, he fell in love with sushi. That was like the first time oh. he ever had sushi. So because of that, he was really spoiled because that was the first time he had sushi. It was like the best. Yeah. And he fell in love with it. It was at the emperor's palace. So it was like really, really like fancy. And he was talking about how like, I've traveled the country looking for comparable sushi. Obviously I haven't found it. However, my favorite sushi restaurant in the States is Sushi Spot in the Valley, and it's in a strip mall. <laughs> so we have to go there. Yeah, that sounds it's good. It's in Tarzana. So there is something oh, to do. Oh, Okay. Is he still in Tarzana? Or he just found it when he was living there? When he was living there. Maybe okay. I think he actually There's a lot of good sushi places in the valley, actually. I know. Um, so that's not too surprising. Right. But I just wanted to let you know Bobby's favorite place to eat sushi okay. is sushi spot in Tarzana. I will trust Bobby. So Bobby bought a mansion in Atlanta where he created his own record label and that was gonna be headquartered down there. The home that he bought was once owned by Mike Thevis, who was a famous pornographer who wound up murdering two of his own associates. Oh. There might be enough interesting stories to do an episode on that guy later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was like trying not to get too sidetracked right. looking into this guy's deal. Right. But he was like a pro- pretty prolific pornographer in the 70s. Okay. So Bobby buys this guy's house and he would obviously throw these huge parties there uh, for his kids as well as for the adults. He was telling a story about for Landon, his uh, oldest son's birthday, he threw him a party and he got the real Ninja Turtles like from the movie oh, to come to the party. Nice. Because the kid had um, wasn't duped by Bobby putting on a Batman costume the right. year before. He, he was like, that's my dad. Yeah. This was a fun house, obviously. It is also was generally accepted among people who lived in the house or his friends who stayed there, that this house was haunted. And you know I love a good haunting story, (laughs) especially if it involves ghost sex. Ooh. Here is an excerpt from Bobby Brown's book. I wish I had music to play. Like, (laughs) Put some in in the background. We would often see white women walk down the hallway. (laughs) People would bust out of their rooms screaming, did you see that? One memorable night, one of the ghosts descended from the ceiling and had sex with me. After you stop laughing, I need you to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> I need you to hear what I'm saying because I am not making this up. After you stop laughing. <laughs> See, I told you he keeps putting that in his book. It's so good. And let me add this. This was before I ever touched any drug besides weed and alcohol. <laughs> I love that he needs to have the caveat. Yeah. I, was I had like, long stopped eating cocaine chicken. <laughs> right. 
I don't think anybody can drink enough alcohol to make them think they are actually having sex with a ghost. In my bedroom, I had a big round bed with a mirrored ceiling oh, looming brother. above. I mean, <laughs> look, honestly, I wouldn't have expected anything less from no. him at this point. And he's still like, what, 22? Yes, he's like 22 <laughs> years old. He's like, I want a round bed. Yeah, that would be me. I'd be like, I need a water bed and like a circle couch. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Want that machine that makes it jiggle for 25 cents? Like, everyone gets quarters. Right? That's me with money at 20. Totally. <laughs> So, I always slept in the nude. So, one night, I woke up to a sensation of a woman on top of me. I looked up and in the mirrors, and I could actually see a white woman straddling me on the bed. (laughs) The sensation felt exactly like sex. I could feel my penis inside of her and everything. It was not a dream. I was definitely awake when it was happening. All of a sudden, she was gone, leaving me alone and incredibly excited and terrified at the same time. In 1989, Bobby began a relationship with his longtime crush, Janet Jackson. Ooh. Now, Bobby was essentially Janet's side piece because she was engaged to Renee Elizondo Jr., one of her dancers. I remember that relationship. (laughs) But Bobby was head over heels for Janet. On her 23rd birthday, he bought her a white Jaguar and put a cute little white chow puppy inside the car and presented it to her. But she refused the gift because she was like, my fiance cannot see this. Yeah. You just bought me a huge fucking car and a little puppy. What am I going to do with the puppy? Yeah. Say my side piece bought it for me. Right. Well, the relationship obviously eventually came to an end. And one night, Bobby and Janet were in bed together at the LaDuffy Hotel in WeHo when Janet told Bobby that she loved him, but she wasn't in love with him. And this obviously crushed Bobby. And Bobby was also convinced that she couldn't, uh, that she wouldn't be serious with him because her dad didn't want her to be with the black guy. So Bobby was heated, you know. The Mm -hmm. woman that he's in love with just said, I love you, I'm not in love with you. So he kicked Janet out of the room butt-ass naked. What? So she was in the hallway screaming for him to open the door, and he was like, no. Damn. Naked. He kicked her out of the hotel room naked. Can you imagine walking upon that? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Janet Jackson, if you're nasty. He did throw a bed sheet out eventually for her. Thanks, Bobby. (laughs) That was very nice of you. That's the guy who was holding her boobs on the Rolling Stone cover. And then came Whitney. Bobby first met Whitney in April 1989 at the Soul Train Music Awards. And how they met, they had like this very playful first meeting with each other like she was sitting behind him and she kept bumping his head while she was like talking to her friends she was sitting with and he was like who the stop bumping me like why does Whitney Houston keep bumping me in the head and she finally was like you keep bumping me in the head and she's like oh I know oh so then Bobby uh, asked her out like he they exchanged phone numbers he ends up calling her he asks her out and there was definitely an overlap in the beginning of this relationship and the one with Janet a lot of Bobby's relationships had overlaps in them. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> or would pick up sort of yeah. sometimes, like right. a re-pick up again yeah. in the middle of another relationship. As Bobby became more interested in Whitney, he talked about her to his friend Eddie Murphy because Eddie had dated Whitney. Oh. According to Bobby, Eddie said, she's cool. She just smokes too much weed for me. And Bobby was like, what? Whitney? Impossible. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he was like, you smoke weed. Whitney Houston smokes too much weed for you. Right. And Whitney Houston, like the church girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like Whitney Houston was America's sweetheart. Right. She smokes too much weed. Are you crazy? So Whitney and Bobby, the more they were sort of having this courtship, she started showing up to his shows, even unexpected. Like she would fly to other countries just to watch his show. She was super into him, and she was definitely, like, pursuing him, actively Whoa. pursuing him. I didn't know they met that early. Like, Yeah. And at this point, they hadn't even slept together yet, which was highly unusual for Bobby. Like, you know, they right. did not sleep together after their first date or even after no, not knowing each other for a while. So after a show in London one night... Bobby returned to his hotel, and Whitney had booked the nicest, biggest suite on the top floor. There, they drank wine, talked, and played piano together. And while they were sitting at the piano, their hands touched. I mean, it was, like, just such a romantic, perfect scene, basically. And needless—oh, sorry. Well, they obviously ended up having sex that night, and their chemistry was undeniable. Like, they were— oh my God, we're perfect in bed together and we really like each other. Like it was just like the full package Mm -hmm. for Bobby and for Whitney. And in the beginning, Bobby and Whitney's relationship was definitely like a fairy tale. They showered each other with expensive gifts. They dined at expensive restaurants. They met up in romantic hotels in various parts of the world. And when the public learned about Bobby and Whitney's relationship, the tabloids had a field day speculating on the details of it. Right, because it was like the good girl and the bad boy. Exactly. Yeah. So they would make all these rumors up about them and what they were doing and, and sort of try and stir the pot. And, and I, that was really upsetting to Bobby because he sort of felt like, oh, I'm not good enough for... Right. Oh, you guys think I'm not good enough for Whitney Houston. She's this, like, has this perfect image. But he knows that the two of them are in love and very compatible with each other. So... The press also liked to focus on the fact that Whitney was older than Bobby. I mean, and that's something that... Oh, yeah. The press still does that today, which is pretty irritating. Is It's like everyone always makes this big deal about when a woman who's older than a man in the relationship. Well, it's not like they were... An outrageous age difference, even. They were literally, like, three years. (laughs) They literally were a three-year gap. Yeah. Like... I mean, it's absurd. Like... That that would even come up is weird to me. But that's just, like, so... Just such baked-in sexism. Oh, absolutely. That they think, even though she's only three years older than him, that it's this huge, like, May-December romance. Yeah. When right. If It wouldn't even be news if it was a guy and no. a girl. No. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. And it shouldn't even be news even if the girl's a decade older. No. Because it never is if the guy is. No. So, Bobby and Whitney got married on July 18th, 1992, in a lavish ceremony at Whitney's New Jersey estate. And this was, like... I mean, their wedding, they went all out yeah. for this wedding, obviously. And it was star-studded. Everyone was there. Like, And this is, uh, here is a picture of Whitney's gorgeous wedding dress. Oh, yes. She had such a good dress. Yeah. And her smile is so cute. I know. She's so beautiful. Um, so before the wedding, though, Bobby and his friends embarked on a month-long bachelor party. Oh, my God. Yeah. month A month long. That is so over the top. That's, like, worse than a birthday week. <laughs> He's like, I'm getting married. I'm Bobby Brown. I want to get fucked up. I want to fuck people. I want right. to see strippers. I want to... Go all over the country. I love that as if he's going to stop that. <laughs> oh, I know. Come on. So, <laughs> so 
they went to Las Vegas, they went to Miami, mm-hmm. they went to New York Damn. and Paris, and they were partying nonstop. And this was the first time that he tried cocaine. Oh. In fact, well, other than the fried chicken, other than the fried chicken, this was the first time he willingly tried cocaine. Uh huh. So he said that he was actually still high on his wedding day, having not slept the night before. Oh, right. And as a result of that and just regular normal wedding jitters, like he was pretty agitated the morning before his wedding. He right. was really nervous. He hadn't slept. He just had this, he's fucking exhausted from yeah. this huge party he just had. And he decided, you know what, I need to see Whitney right now. I need to see her to, like, look in her eyes and remind myself... Why I'm doing this. Why I'm doing this. I also need to fuck her because I need to remind myself that way that I'm in love with this woman. So he left the garage of the estate where all the groomsmen were getting ready, and he went over to the room where Whitney was getting ready. And when he opened the door to her room, he found her hunched over the bureau snorting coke. She, and he was reminded why, why they had that connection. So she turned to Bobby, and all she said was, you want some? And Bobby said no, and Whitney said, okay, well, now you know I do coke sometimes. <laughs> oh, I'm so fucking nervous. He had no idea. Damn. Yeah, like, he knew, like that she was more of a bad girl on the sly because she smoked right. weed. They both... Like, she really had a double life yes, going. Yeah, absolutely. Like, compared to what this, like, image right. in the media that she had. Like, she was, you know, secretly this quote-unquote bad girl. So this is a quote from Bobby's book. I was unnerved to see my woman doing cocaine. Oh, brother. But, but her brother Michael had already told me that she indulged. Turns out he's the one who introduced her, as he admitted to Oprah many years later. While I was disturbed, I was also a bit impressed that she was clearly not the princess the world thought she was. Oh, she's a fucking G. (laughs) (laughs) So, in August of 1992, Bobby's album, Bobby, was released, and it featured the duet with Whitney, Something in Common. Now, Bobby was obviously nervous singing alongside arguably the greatest singer on the planet. Right. Just because it's his wife. He's like, you're the greatest singer. Yeah. How can I compete? Like, Bobby knows he's not, he knows he can sing, but he's not, like, considered a great vocalist. No, he's like a performer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he has that whole package, basically. So... He said that Whitney helped him a lot, fine-tuning his vocals for that album, and he also helped out with her dancing. So I thought that was really... I just thought that was really cute. That is cute. That, like, they helped each other that way. Because she was not that great of a dancer. No, she was not known for dancing, but he helped her out. And the album Bobby wasn't as crazy successful as Don't Be Cruel, but it still reached the number one on the R&B charts and number two on the Billboard 200 chart. And I will say that... That album, Bobby, features another great Bobby Brown song, Humpin' Around, yeah. which is, like, iconic to me. I mean, it's, it's really hard to follow up an album that was so mega hit. Like, yeah. there were just so many hits. It was just such a blockbuster. Totally. I mean, very few people can follow up like that. Yeah. It's, it's like Mariah Carey or something. So, like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, like, very, it's, like, it's not something that happens all no. the time. Um, and at this time, Bobby and Whitney were truly happy. They were fucking constantly anywhere and anytime they could, but Bobby did 
go back to Kim Ward at one point. Not go back to her, but he fucked her, and she got pregnant. Oh. And Whitney was not happy. Right. Because Whitney was also pregnant with Bobby's child. Oh, shit. Bobby Christina. (laughs) And on March 4th, 1993, their daughter, Bobby Christina, was born. And that is where we will leave off today with the birth of their daughter, because shit's about to get a little crazy yeah. in the next episode, and there's a lot to cover. Um, one thing we forgot to mention, Desi and I, we were talking about before we started recording, was uh, Bobby's uh, 1989 song for the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack, On yeah. Our Own, <laughs> which I fucking love that song. Yeah. And like, it's such a good song. It should have won the Oscar, but it didn't. It wasn't even nominated. I looked it up. I was like, I mean, the Little Mermaid one, which, like, okay, that's really obvious. Right. But to me, that's the Oscar-winning song of that year. But that was, like, Ghostbusters 2, right? It was Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. I don't think that movie was that successful. That's probably why it didn't get any Oscar love. I like Ghostbusters 2. Right. But anyway, Desi still knows the rap part of that song. (laughs) I'm not going to make her do it. I'm just saying she still knows it. I didn't even realize when you tweeted about that song... I looked it up immediately, and the minute it started playing, I was like, oh, <laughs> that song. Right. Like, I don't think I put, I don't think I knew what it was called or something, or I remembered what it was called. Because you think of it as, like, the Ghostbusters song. Right. Uh, the the opening rap to that song is pretty hilarious. Oh, my God. They call com- the Ghostbusters and the Ink Control. I mean, there's, like, talking about, like, Proton Pack. Like, yeah. It's just like, yeah. And it's Slimer. So, yeah. It's, like, funny. Like, it's always funny to me when, like, an artist does a song for a movie and they have to include all the lingo right. of the movie and it's extra stupid because it's Ghostbusters. Right. And he's like at the height of his career. I can't believe it. Singing about this shit. Do you know why he did that song? He did it because he wanted to be an actor at that point. Oh. And he was like, they approached him. They're like, we need you to do a song for the movie that's going to be as big as Ghostbusters right. by Ray Parker Jr. Right. Who can possibly top that? Oh, Bobby Brown, the biggest star in the world right. right now. And he's like, I'll do your song if I can be in the movie. So he has a little cameo. Oh, he does? Okay. Yeah, he plays like a bellhop in it. Okay, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. like he has like two lines or something. But um, no, I love, I still love that song, even though he is rapping about proton packs. It's funny. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. It's a good song. It is a great song. It's just every once in a while you're like the lyrics, you're like, oh, right. shit, this <laughs> oh. is for Ghostbusters. Like right. a lot of times movie songs, they almost have nothing to do with the movie. Right. Like the lyrics don't have anything to do with the movie per se. But like maybe that, like, it, uh, that just reminded me of like another song that came out a few years later when, which is for a movie, which is when, like in 91, when MC Hammer did The Addams Family. Oh, right. Remember that? Yes. But it was like basically, <laughs> it was... Yeah, the Adams Family rap. And then when Adams Family 2 came out, Adams Family Values, since it was 1993, they're like, well, who's the, bi- who's the big rap group now? Oh, it's Tag Team, the guys who did Whoop, There It Is. <laughs> and they did possibly the most half-assed movie tie-in song I've ever heard in my life because <laughs> they just took Whoop, There It Is, but they changed some of the lyrics to make it kind of Adams Family. Yeah. And the chorus doesn't even like have a beat. It goes, Whoop. The Adams family, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, why didn't they do whoop, there it is? Who, the can you imagine family. being like the stuffy 
executive in charge of that music company or film <laughs> and that's what you got and you're like i'm so square i don't even know if this is bad or not like right. like they don't even know that do the kids like this like just figuring out and these fucking rappers are like laughing their, their asses hit. off oh yeah like, we just got a payday for this shit like do you know one time i looked i like i was like because brendan and i were actually uh singing whoop the adams family there it is yeah. to each other and just dying laughing at how that like is so i just like to jolty. do every movie song like with that so like <laughs> it's like they just they, it's like they just inserted it into the yeah. song it doesn't Whoops, even go there it is <laughs> like, you, could just do it for, you could just do it for every movie so i like i was like going on a deep dive of tag team like whatever happened to these guys they fucking quit after whoop there it is what they were like we're never gonna top this we're gonna quit yeah. and just take our money that's good they yeah. do like 20 more versions of that song right some people do right <laughs> right or try and have like a comeback album right no they're like we're a tag team we did one song <laughs> it was terrible and we know it was terrible i respect that i don't even think they were really musicians i think it was like they just fucking got lucky yeah that's amazing right it's incredible um cool i'm excited for next week i am so. too we have, we have a lot to cover i'm definitely going to be revisiting the uh reality show being bobby uh-huh. brown we both uh-huh. will so we'll oh, have boy. to stuff that to talk was quite about. a show oh boy so uh you can join us on social media yeah uh we are on instagram and we have a facebook group um so you should definitely check those out yeah also if you are on itunes give us five star review that really helps us so we would love it. <laughs> Do it. Anything else? Um, no. Let's hang out with these cats. Okay. All right. Bye. Okay, bye.